0: Thank you Tim for that prayer of supplication and um, certainly it's good to be able to come before the Lord and and just pour out our hearts and and the great needs that we may have personally and our families and then of course community and country and the world as as Tim has alluded to and some of the great needs there. I invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke as we are... uh, with God's help, moving gradually, ever so gradually, uh, into and through this wonderful gospel rendition of the story and the message and the ministry of Jesus Christ given to us by Luke. And as you turn to chapter 1, and we'll be picking up somewhere thereabouts in verse 39. You know, it fascinates me, not just the the um, the holiday uh, representation of this season of the year, Christmas, and, and all that goes with Christmas, and it is a joyous time of year, especially for us as believers. And uh, but you know, I remember as a as a little boy, uh, I, I got really really excited at Christmas. I always look forward to Christmas, and, and just a lot of anticipation, excitement, and um, and have great fond memories of Christmas there on the farm. But Christmas night was always, to me, the longest, most agonizing night of the year. It seemed like the clock went backwards. And, you know, (laughs) I know a lot of it was the excitement and the anticipation of getting up and going down with my many brothers and sisters and uh, enjoying what uh, was there for us. But, you know, actually, the longest... Night of the year occurs right around Christmas. So as I look back scientifically, actually, it was a long night. In fact, the longest night of this year in North Carolina is getting ready to happen uh, on Friday, the 21st, beginning at 5.22 p.m. We'll be beginning the winter solstice. And so that will be the longest night, the darkest night of the year. And, of course, shortly thereafter is Christmas I know some of you are thinking, winter solstice, last weekend, duh. (laughs) The solstice is a little bit late, right? (laughs) Fall snows don't count. So that can be a long night. And and some people just don't really enjoy the winter season because of the long nights, the long periods of darkness. Well, before you start getting, you know, feeling too sorry for yourself, might I remind you that, that we have citizens in this country who have much longer nights. For instance, if, if you were a resident of the town of Barrows, the northernmost town in the state of Alaska, uh, at, at, at that point, at, as winter begins, when the sun sets, just consider the fact that it won't rise again for 67 days. So if you think your night is long, just remember your fellow citizens a little bit further to the north there who endure a 67 day period of darkness. I don't know how they fight depression and things like that up there, so... But, speaking of that, talking about long periods of darkness. You know, as we look at the Bible, we know that there are two testaments. The Old Testament, the, Old, the New Testament. And just looking textually at the Bible, as you flip from Malachi and boom over to uh, Matthew, if, you know, the Bible I have, it doesn't seem to be much of a deal. But consider the fact that during that time period between the, what we know as the Old Testament time period and the New Testament beginning with the Gospel of, of Luke because Luke is the earliest chronologically as far as you know, historical facts. Uh, Luke picks up earlier than any of the other Gospels. So Luke would be the beginning. Well, there's a 400-year period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and ladies and gentlemen, this in the history of the nation of Israel spiritually speaking is one of the longest and the darkest times in the history of the nation of Israel from the events that transpire at the end of the book of Nehemiah historically and and the the teachings of the prophecies of the prophet Malachi prophetically from that time period there is absolute darkness. There is no revelation from heaven. There, there is no prophet speaking the word of God. Silence. What a dismal period of time. How long that must have been for those who heard the last words of the prophet Malachi that basically said, God is sending His Messiah. He is sending His Messiah. That was it. And so as we walk into, as we open up the Gospel of Luke, it's almost as if God is shining a a, a divine illumination, if you will. It's like... God burst suddenly shattering the darkness and breaking the silence with glorious good news. And that, that illumination begins with a devout priest known as Zacharias who's going about his business on his time of service in the intersanctums sanctums of the temple in preparing for prayer and an angel of the Lord, as we saw earlier in, in Luke's gospel, suddenly appears to him and announces to him that he and his wife, who are both, they're both up in age, are, and she's barren, they're gonna have a baby. God breaks forth with this glorious good news. This is not an ordinary baby, this is gonna be the forerunner of the Messiah. Hey, listen, if you've got a forerunner of the Messiah, doesn't that usually imply that the Messiah is coming along shortly thereafter? in there's divine illumination not only is he encountering this devout priest Zacharias but guess what Elizabeth his wife has to be brought into the picture as well and suddenly she's been illuminated with this great glorious good news that suddenly she's going to be with child and not only that but God continues to have these episodes of divine illumination because in our last message in, in Luke's gospel there in chapter One, we saw where the same angel found a young virgin by the name of Mary in an insignificant town called Nazareth, and God shared forth great good news to her that she was going to bear a child even though she was a virgin and that that child would be the very son of God. (laughs) But God wasn't finished Because there had to be a young man that was involved in the scheme as well by the name of Joseph, a very godly young man who was betrothed to Mary. And suddenly the darkness is shattered with this glorious illumination, this wonderful, divine, heavenly revelation that God is about to do a great work in the midst of His people. And the darkness is suddenly pulled back. Even as the, pastoral, or as the preaching team was preaching through to Isaiah, there was a glimpse of this wonderful hope we saw in chapter 7 as they expounded upon this part of that great prophecy in Isaiah 7.14 where God says through the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz the king, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let that prophecy sink into your minds. That's not the last time you'll hear that in God's wonderful divine scheme. You know, it's been exciting as we're walking through our Christian growth group studies in the Old Testament because we're seeing, we're seeing in all the the, the episodes and all the personalities and all the generations, we're seeing God unfold a marvelous, wonderful plan to redeem mankind from sin. And we've gotten as far as the life of Joseph and his brothers and Saul, how God's plan and that redemptive reversal that God is working. Guess what? Listen, Christmas is not an isolated event that occurs right on December 25th and everybody has a great times and has parties and, and, and sings songs and gives gifts. And then it's over. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. Christmas is, is one. One part of an unfolding story that goes on and on, a part of that story is also the cross and the empty tomb and the resurrection of Christ. It's the the day of Pentecost. It's the planning of the church. It's the mission of the church. It goes on, as I was telling my class this morning. The story continues to unfold. And what we see here in the Gospel of Luke is just one glorious, magnificent. I guess if you were looking at the story on a storyline, the story of God's redemptive plan, you would have to admit that what we're about to look at here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, has to be one of the pinnacle events. My goodness, God is going to come and dwell in the, in the midst of man. A virgin's going to have a baby. God is up to some wonderful things. Well, uh, as we move further, beginning in chapter 1 and verse 39... And, and we're focusing upon Mary, naturally. I mean, the mother of the Son of God. We ought to give her due attention. And that's what Luke is doing here. And Luke, being a historian, he's very much into details. He wants to make sure he's got everything in order. He's wanting you to see all the details. He doesn't want you to miss anything about this glorious story. And, and the personalities involved and in how God is working. And out of this divine illumination that is given by God, we see what I call miraculous confirmations. You know, God is so good. He is the God of grace because He doesn't just tell us things. He confirms those things. Even with our own salvation, you think about it. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's not just a mental thing. Because we have the Scriptures to confirm. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man is in Christ Jesus... He or she is a brand new creature or a brand new creation. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. The Bible says you're saved, you're changed, you're transformed. Not only that, but the power of the Spirit of God is living in us, constantly telling us you're not the person you used to be. You're a brand new child of God. You are alive eternally. And the Spirit of Christ lives in you. So God is so gracious. He just doesn't tell us things, but He confirms it. And so now as we zero in on Mary there in, in chapter one verse 39, it says, "Now Mary arose in those days, and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah." We don't know which city, we just knew it was in the region of Judah. Uh, probably a journey that would take Mary about three to four days, but don't miss something that Luke tells that. Remember remember, Luke is into details. <laughs> he, does, he doesn't just say that Mary all of a sudden decided, I need to go visit my cousin Elizabeth. I haven't seen her in a long time. <laughs> no, go back Go back just a few verses. When Gabriel, the angel, shows up and he tells, he announces to Mary, Mary, you are highly favored by God because He's chosen you to bear forth a child that is not the ordinary child. This child is going to be the king whose reign will go forever. And in verse 34, Mary very honestly said to the angel, How can this be? Since I do not know a man, how? She was asking a reasonable question. (laughs) She wasn't doubting. She was just saying, "My mind can't can't, can't really go there. I'm still a virgin." Hey, if Gabriel had told her about that, told her that about any woman, she would ask the same question. How can that be? How can that be? And the angel will not explain to her in verse 35 that the, that the Holy Spirit would come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is the, to be born will be called the Son of God. This is basically, Mary, how it's going to happen. You might not still understand. You know, it's kind of like explaining the Trinity. Okay? Hey, all we know is that the Holy Spirit did it. But don't miss what he says next. See, God didn't have to say verse 36. But he understands his people needs help. They need some confirmation. What a wonderful act of grace on behalf of our wonderful, loving Father. He says through Gabriel in verse 36, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her, which was called barren. For with God, and I think this is probably the most powerful words that Gabriel says, for with God, nothing is impossible. Mary, let that settle into your heart. And I would say it to Christians today, Christians, let us not lose sight of what God has said. With God, nothing is impossible. We will face impossible circumstances. We will face challenging and daunting situations. But let me tell you something. When God is leading and we are following, nothing is impossible with God. Not even an old lady who's been barren all of her life and being fallen in age, having a baby. If God wants her to have a baby, she can have a baby. She can have twins if she wanted to. (laughs) I know I make some of the more senior ladies a little nervous every time I touch on that. But just relax, just relax. I hadn't gotten any kind of signs or whatever, <laughs> and I promised all the younger mothers I wouldn't be praying to, to fill up the nursery unless I consulted with them first. That's an inside joke there. But, but so, so God is saying to, to Mary through Gabriel, "I want, I want you to." I want you to have confirmation. And so when we get down to verse 39, you understand why it says that Mary, she went to Elizabeth's city with haste because this message that she has received from God, though she believes it, it's confusing. Oh, how it would help her if she had just a little bit of confirmation. So, so pick up there again with verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah. This takes her about three to four days, like I said, to get to this area. And entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth in verse 41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. That'll be John the Baptist, by the way. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Not the fruit of the loom. Fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed. Talking about Mary. Mary, how blessed are you to have faith? What faith do you have, child? That God has told you an astounding revelation. And you believe it. What faith you have. God bless you. Hey, how did did Elizabeth know that Mary was even pregnant? (laughs) just says Mary ran into the house. Elizabeth, Elizabeth, where are you? And all of a sudden, Elizabeth is telling her things she had never told Elizabeth. How did she know that she was pregnant? The wedding hadn't taken place. Oh, by the way, how how does she happen to know that the baby that Mary was going to have was the Son of God? (laughs) Hey, listen. Listen, the Holy Spirit's working. We'll see that. So, So for Mary, this was a wonderful confirmation. She finds the rear. Look, when she runs into the house and she sees her cousin, I'm saying cousin, relative. She sees Elizabeth, this older lady. She's never been so glad in all of her life to see Elizabeth old and pregnant. (laughs) Because how did she know? How did she know? The angel of God told her, you go see for yourself, Mary. Nothing is impossible with... What a confirmation. It's an act of the grace of her loving God to strengthen her faith He didn't have to do this but he did that much like the confirmation that god's word gives to us folks that's why you read your bible because when you're in the word of god and the spirit of god is illuminating the word of god listen nothing confirms to me more who i am and what I am in God and what He has done, then when I read the pages of the Word of God and I see the promises of God and know that they have been fulfilled and I see the prophecies that I know will be fulfilled and when He talks about a brand new creation in Christ, I know that's what has happened to me. I have the confirmation of the Spirit of God every day when I call upon him. He continually reminds me, even though the devil will try to convince me that I'm a nobody and that I'm worthless. Listen, the Spirit of God continually says, oh no, you're not. You're adopted into the family of God. You are a brand new creature in Christ and you are part of the kingdom of God. Now get out there and do your work. God confirms... He not only confirmed for Mary, but let me tell you something, he was given confirmation to Elizabeth and Zacharias. All the way back in chapter 1, there, when the angel encountered Zacharias there near the Holy of Holies in the temple, an angel said to Zachariah in verse 13, said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. For your prayer is answered, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Hey, listen, it's one thing when an angel shows up and says, y'all going to have a baby. But when the angel goes on with such surety and says, oh, you're going to have a son. Oh, by the way, his name is John. <laughs> Doesn't say the angel said how much you weighed or how long he was. But the fact is, the angel was talking factually because the angel was talking on behalf of God. And God gave confirmation to, to Zacharias. How? In verse 24. And after those, day, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And she hid herself for five months. God said it. He confirmed it. And that's the pattern of our God. But not only that, did the actual pregnancy of Elizabeth confirm to Zachariah and, and Elizabeth that what God was doing was certainly true and that, that they could expect God to do wonderful things. But let me tell you something. They were witnessing the working of the Spirit of God. Listen, that just don't let that go over your head. It's just a, a religious platitude. Let me say it again. They were experiencing for the first time the working of the Holy Spirit of God. Do you understand that it was back in the not since the days of Nehemiah, not since the prophecies of Malachi? Do you understand for four centuries, for four centuries, the nation of Israel, the people of God, had seen no semblance of the working of the Spirit of God? And now what we're seeing, ladies and gentlemen, unfolded right here in the Gospel of Luke is, is as much as a preview of Pentecost. Because the angel told Mary, the Spirit of God is going to come upon you, overshadow you, and plant within your womb the very embryo that will become the Son of God, Savior of the world, King of kings and Lord of lords. And now Zechariah and Elizabeth were seeing this. They saw Mary. They could see in her countenance, they saw in her faith that the Spirit of God was upon this young lady. She's probably about 13, 14 years old. They knew it was a working of the Holy Spirit, but listen, they didn't have to take Mary's word for it. You remember back in verse 41? As soon as Mary, as soon as Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, look what it says. As soon as she heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That term had not been used, ladies and gentlemen, for a long, long time. And suddenly the Spirit of God was upon this elderly lady who was about to give a ba- have a baby. And, and, and the Spirit of God came up. Hey, she couldn't help but be filled with the Spirit. Because in verse 15 it tells us that the baby she was carrying was also filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're a Christian mother and you've got a baby that's already filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't stand a chance you're going to be Pentecostal all the way. I just kidding about the Pentecostal there. <laughs> Elizabeth was filled. Everything she said was because the Spirit of God filled her mind, filled her heart, filled her soul. And she was just speaking out loud, didn't say in tongues, speaking out with loud voice. Blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. By but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me for indeed as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears the babe leaped in my womb blessed is she who believed for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the son of uh, from from the Lord listen Mary Elizabeth was saying the things she was saying because she was speaking under the power of the spirit of God Not only is God invading the life of a young virgin by the power of his Holy Spirit, not only is he invading the life of this elderly woman who's now very far along pregnant, but he also invades old Zacharias. We'll see that in a little bit. Because Zacharias comes under the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God gave confirmation to Mary. God gave confirmation to Zacharias and to to Elizabeth. But don't, don't miss this. What about Joseph? You know, let me just say a word on behalf of all of us neglected fathers. All through the process of pregnancy and everything, you know, the mother's getting these showers and all these gifts and pampering and everything. Goes to the hospital and has a baby, and everybody's oohing and ahing over her and the baby. Where's dad? Oh, he's over there carrying a diaper pail, or, you know, he's somewhere. (laughs) Now, I may be exaggerating a little bit here. But, where's Joseph? The Gospels coordinate. Because God, I want you to see in Matthew. Just go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 28, because I think it's beautiful. Uh, 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 Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It tells us there, God's working in the heart of Joseph too. Guess what? The woman that he loves, the woman that he's betrothed to, the woman that he has not known physically, intimately, is now pregnant in the Jewish culture of that time period that's a crisis because according to the law in Leviticus 20.10 she could be stoned adultery brought with it the death penalty of course under more liberal lax I guess you would say uh, adjudications In Deuteronomy 24, a man could write a letter of divorce. So just keep that in mind. It says now in verse 18 of chapter 1 of Matthew, Now the birth of Jesus was as follows after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, don't forget that, don't lose that, just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was was minded to, to put her away secretly two things we know about Joseph number one he was a just man I believe he was a godly man he was a righteous man but he was a man of faith not only that I believe Joseph was a man who was compassionate because he did not want to see his wife this woman he loved he was supposed to marry who's now under the shame of uh, being pregnant out of wedlock suddenly he's thinking I need to do something to protect her and he's going to let her secretly by writing a letter So that you won't be publicly embarrassed. But in verse 20. But while he thought about these things. Behold an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Saying Joseph son of David do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son and you you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying behold a virgin shall be, born, shall be with child and bear a son. Remember that Isaiah 7.14? And they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated God with us. And I love verse 24 because it says then Joseph being aroused from sleep did as the angel commanded and took to him his wife Joseph didn't understand. But God confirmed to him. That he had it all worked out. It was under control. And his faith enabled him. To take that confirmation given to him. And to follow God's instructions obediently. Oh yes God's divine illumination. Prompts and generates. Marvelous confirmations. But it doesn't stop there, ladies and gentlemen, because this wonderful divine illumination that's transpiring as Luke is unfolding the, the happenings just prior to the birth of Christ. Not only generate miraculous confirmations, but also glorious exaltations. Glorious exaltations. Hey, listen, this is a fact. Encountering the living God encountering the living God elicits expressions of sincere worship. You cannot encounter God and not be drawn into worshiping Him. On the other hand, if you don't encounter God by faith, how can you worship Him? And so we see, going back to the story, Mary's Magnificat, Verses 46 through 55. The term Magnificat comes from the Latin word, which is one of the the first words used in that passage in Mary's song of praise. Magnifies in the Latin translation Magnificat. And historically down through the years, this portion of praise has been called Mary's Magnificat. It is a song of praise that reveals her humble spirit and her confident faith in God. Dr. John McCarthy, in his commentary, said Mary is an example to all believers of faith, humility, and submission to the will of God. And we see it as she's declaring this wonderful praise song. Her exaltation of God reveals her familiarity with Scripture. Let me tell you something this young, humble mother to be is not a gullible, unlearned Jewish girl, she knows the Scripture. She understands God's word. And she trusts the Lord. And she trusts His word. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. What does that tell you? Mary has admitted she's not a dispenser of grace. (laughs) She can't save anybody. She needs saving herself. She has as much as admitted that she needs a Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, the lowest of the female servants in a household. This is Mary's humble spirit coming out. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things in me. She knew El Shaddai, the God who is omnipotent and invincible. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And he's put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Mary knows the history of Israel. She knows what God has done. She has read about how God has, has put aside the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Greek Empire. She understands that the God that she loves and trusts is greater than those exalted, powerful political leaders. In verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. We see some of the, the humbleness that was reflected in the passage that's in our responsive reading in the worship guide that humble prayer of that that faithful servant of God, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, when she was barren and she went before God. And what a humble prayer. What a prayer of submission to God. Hannah prayed, poured her heart out to God. Pleading with God, trusting in God that he would give her a son. And indeed God heard her humble prayer. Mary must have read that prayer many times. She understood the spirit of Hannah and we see it reflected here. Mary understood the words of the prophets. She understood the words of the psalmist who exalted God because you see words of exaltation there. She understood the prophecies of Isaiah and Hosea reflected in her wonderful psalm of praise in verse 54 he has helped his servant israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to abraham and to his seed forever i believe mary understood something about the covenant of abraham she understood that god in working out a plan for his people had established a promise with a man called abraham father abraham there would be a covenant with his people. She understood that there was a covenant established with, with that man known as the apple of God's eye, David, King David. That there would be a covenant that his descendants would live or have, the, have a reign that lasted forever. In verse 56, after she had given this wonderful exaltation of, of praise to God. It says that Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her house. Hey listen, would it shock you to know that the Lord is still seeking out godly, humble, submissive followers who are grounded in the Scriptures, who have deep faith in the Lord, who are filled with the Spirit, who love the Lord and trust His Word, and they love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and has great things to do in your life? Would it shock you to know that God might use you? Why should it shock you? I told you the plan is not fulfilled. It's still being worked out. You understand God's eyes are constantly combing the surface of the earth. According to 2 Corinthians 16, 9, it says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over the earth to show himself strong and reliable on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. However, God didn't stumble across Zacharias and Elizabeth or Mary or Joseph by accident. Folks, let me tell you something. He was scouring the surface of the earth looking for those hearts that were right to be used of God to do an outstanding, amazing, divine, miraculous thing to bring about His redemption of humankind. He would not have used Zechariah. He would not have used Elizabeth. He would not have used Mary. He would not have used Joseph if his holy eyes had not seen into their hearts that they trusted him with every ounce of their being. And his eyes are still combing the face of the earth. Is God looking at you? Are the divine, all-powerful eyes of God focusing on you? And will you be qualified? Will He find you loyal? The plan's not done, folks. Oh, listen, we need to move along because God is not finished with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now verse 57, now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered and she brought forth the Son. And I love this little episode here. This says a whole lot about with, with, with peer pressure in verse 58 when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her they rejoiced with her in verse 59 now so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child so here come all the circumcisers I can imagine that would be a motley crew but anyway they're all showing up okay it's time for that circumcision thing so let's get it going and that's and so, no, not in the Bible. That's me, okay? And, and they, would, they would have called his name by the name of his father Zacharias because you named the baby officially at the circumcision ceremony. And so they, they already got the birth certificate filled out. Little Zacharias Jr. Ready to clip, clip, snip, snip. Okay, here we go. And his, and his mother answered and said, No! Stop right there! His name's not going to be Zecharias. It's John. (laughs) And they caught him off guard in verse 41. And they said, there's no one among your relatives who is called by this name? John. This is the Zecharias family. We can call him Zeke or Zecharias. But Zecharias. So they thought, oh, she's a woman. What is she now? We go to the man. Go to the head. Of course, Zacharias, since his doubtful little episode in the temple, has been struck mute. Can't say a word. Kind of like I was when I had that bronchitis. Oh man. But anyway, so he made signs to his father, verse 62, what, what he would have called, him, or what he would have him called, in verse 63. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote saying, his name is John. What's the matter with you? Deaf? No his name is John. Did you hear my wife? And you know what? That faith, that faith to withstand the pressure of their friends and family to to go with social custom, and they were marveling. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loose. Hallelujah. I can't imagine, you know, having laryngitis for nine days, much less nine months suddenly, suddenly he can speak in verse 65 and then fear, or reverence if you will came on all who dwelt around them and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea I mean our good gracious this elderly couple had a baby, not only that they both, his name was going to be John they, they, they were insistent because God had told them and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, they meditated upon it what kind of child would this be? That's a good question. As we go further in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to find out this is not an ordinary baby. Now, no, mind you, he's not <laughs> possessed or something. Yeah, he is possessed by the Holy Spirit. But, but John the Baptist is exceptional. They asked the right question. What kind of a child is this? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Man, powerful. Verse 67, now his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. There you go. I told you, here comes Pentecost again. And the Spirit of God. Here's a man that hadn't been able to talk for nine months, and suddenly the Spirit of God has come upon him. He's got a lot to say. Folks, let me tell you something. We understand a lot. As Zacharias breaks his silence in a prophetic song of praise, often called in the tradition of the church, the Benedictus, because this is one of the first words that comes out of his mouth. Blessed is the Lord. And he's describing the fulfillment of the promises of God made to his people. Listen to what he said. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn which is a sign of strength, a horn of salvation for us. Do you understand? Zacharias got it. The Spirit of God made him know this miracle that was happening to Mary, this miracle that had happened with Elizabeth, this wonderful divine illumination of God. Listen, there's a theme here. There's a wonderful theme that Israel hasn't known before. It's a theme of redemption. It's a theme of salvation. God is about to save His people. Raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He knew about the Davidic covenant. And it was being fulfilled right here before him. Because he knew Mary and Joseph were of the house of David. And he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets. Who have been since the world began. He knew the prophets. He was a priest. He knew the words of prophecy. And he knew what the prophets had said about this coming Messiah. Verse 71. That we should be saved from our enemies. I inserted right there sin I don't think I don't think Zechariah was talking about the Romans I don't think he was talking about political or military enemies I think he got it I think he understood that finally God was providing redemption salvation from their greatest number one enemy it wasn't the Romans it wasn't the Greek it was sin and God is providing it and from the hand of all those who hate us uh, i.e. the devil Verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to his fathers and to remember his holy covenant and the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. I imagine that that Zacharias was having Jesus goosebumps up and down his back. He was thinking about thousands of years ago when God singled out Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis and said, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed (coughs) excuse me (coughs) I might not be able to finish this one (laughs) blow a gasket let that be a sign, a warning to young preachers don't get too excited in your message But not only was Zacharias in this great declaration describing the fulfillment of the promises of God, he was declaring the redemptive work of God. that was about to happen. In verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, which which the day springs, from on high, has visited us. Look at verse 79. To give light to those who sit in darkness. Remember we started out the message talking about this long episode of spiritual darkness. He's saying God is shining His light. This is an original with Zacharias. Our preaching team reminded us of this back in Isaiah chapter nine when they were preaching in verse chapter nine verse one says Nevertheless the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed and when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the sea, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. This is spoken 700 years before this. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow upon them, a light has shined. Now go back to verse 79. Zechariah says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace folks jesus said of himself in john 8 12 he says i am the light of the world he said to his followers in matthew 5 you are the light of the world let your light so shine that men will see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven do you understand that God in His grace and His mercy as He's unfolding this marvelous, spectacular plan has pierced the, shred, the, the shrouds of darkness, of spiritual darkness, and is now shining His light? And in next Sunday's message, we'll see where the light bursts forth upon the horizon in the birth of the Son of God. Jesus Christ.